Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hey, Art of War family. Welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to be back and doing these again. Uh, Nick and I enjoyed our little break for the holidays, had you know time with family and all that fun stuff. And joining us this week, we have a special treat. We have Eric Lathuris on with us from the land down under to talk about the Sisters of Battle. So hang on to your seats. We're going to have a good time. For those of you new to our format, this is episode one where we get into the strategy of a list. We basically break down what's in a list and why it's there. And in episode two, we'll go into how to play it where we call that the tactics discussion. Joining me as always is the one and only Nick Nadavati, the veritable Tom Brady of Warhammer 40K. Nick, how are you? Doing great, John. How are you? Good to hear your voice after a week off. I know, right? It's, it's fabulous. Why don't I you go you. ahead? I, I missed you too, buddy. Go ahead and introduce Eric, and let's talk about some sisters. Absolutely. So Eric is one of our coaches here at Heart of War. He's our first coach down under on Australia, and he's won quite a few events down there with a lot of oddball army choices, Grey Knights before they were quite good, Tyranids with the infamous Gaunt Horde, and a lot of others. So Eric's been on our show a few times for his weird oddball ideas that somehow work down there, and uh, this is no different. We're here talking about his Mono Bloody Rose Brigade sisters. Eric, how you doing? What's happening, bro? I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. So why don't you just uh, lay it on us? What was the army you took to this tournament? What was this tournament that you won? So this was uh, Queensland Masters. So Queensland it's an eight-player eight invitational that runs alongside like an open event. Oh, okay. So were the people at this invitational like some top dogs? I know you had a rough road in the tournament. Yeah, so it's pretty much all the, all the high performers in the current season of tournaments up in Queensland. They get an invite based on tournaments they've won or based on their ranking. And then we all play off against each other for just a bit of a bit of a pride battle. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think, why don't you just start it off by going through the entire, like your list, and then we can take them there. Yep. Uh, so I was running a Bloody Rose Brigade. Uh, so I had a cannoness with a null rod and a chainsword. Uh, she'd get the Righteous Rage, Warlord Trait, and the Relic Chainsword. Uh, then another Cannoness with the Blade of Admonition, so it's the three damage blessed blade. Uh, then another Cannoness with Mantle of Ophelia, which is the three up invo. Uh, then I had six Innocent Sisters just in their pants. Uh, and a Magnifier with the double tails, so you had Tail of Warrior and Tail of the Stoic. Uh, Hospitilla. Uh, a unit of eight Celestians with a multi-melter, a banner, and a incensor cherub. Uh, and then two units of five Celestians with multi-melters, uh, three units of eight Repentia, uh, two units of five Dominions just with nothing, uh, five Seraphim with quad fusion pistol, uh, two units of one Mortifier, and three units of five Retributors with double multi-melter, double cherub, and combi flamers. Awesome. Thanks, okay. Eric. Yeah, First... First newbie question, why a brigade? Uh, I was, so I was the, running the, the first split. Bri- sorry? Yeah. I was going to say it's the first brigade that I've seen in ninth edition. So yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of curious to hear the, the rationale behind this. Uh, so I was running the split detachments for sisters, like splitting Valorous Heart and Bloody Rose, uh, and I wanted all these extra relics. So I was kind of sick of starting with like four CP. Uh, so the brigade lets me start at a higher amount of CP with all the relics that I want. And I decided I didn't need any Valorous Heart based on where the meta was going. So I went just all Bloody Rose and saved my CP. That's pretty much the only reason. And then for our newer players, Bloody Rose are the ones that are better in combat, right? Yeah, so Neg 1 AP on melee and pistol weapons and uh, plus 1 attack. Very cool. All right, so when I look at this list from a brigade, uh, it's got all the normal good sisters. It's got Repentia, everyone loves Repentia, your classic Smash Canises. I see you got for three of them. I'll touch on that in a bit. Uh, Retributors, very classic staple. Seraphim, good units, sisters, good units, Lustians, good units, all makes sense. But it's all kind of done in, in ways I haven't really seen before. So by that I mean the Repentia aren't riding around in rhinos, which is pretty typical. 
Uh, I know I've heard talk of like the 12 mortifier lists, and this is obviously just two solo mortifiers, so I imagine that's different. Retributors, I usually see like four multi meltas, two cherubs in like an emulator or a rhino. Uh, and I see like this more half mechanized, half not mechanized mid ground sisters army. How does your play, yours play compared to that one? Uh, so that it's pretty much all done. Well, so the unit choice is pretty much all based on uh, secondaries. So taking things like rhinos and and uh, stuff like that, you you take away from this. The best thing about sisters, I think, is being able to keep your characters alive so easily. So, like taking while we stand. I don't think I've played a game with sisters where I haven't scored fifteen for while we stand. Um, yeah. So take, taking the rhinos stops that as well. Like you, you're not able to score that as easily with rhinos for your pentia. And I, I really don't think they need them. Uh, indirect is a lot rare. A lot more rare in the meta than it used to be. Uh, I don't think that's just down here. I think that's everywhere. There's really not that much indirect compared to what you used to see in eighth edition. Uh, and if you do play some with indirect, I mean now you can just outflank Repentia, which is sweet. Um, yeah, and then interesting. The, yeah, and then like things like the two into one mortifiers. Uh, I think I was playing a fair few games of sisters where I couldn't deal with special like space marines that chaff like five infiltrators on the sides of the table or firing curses or something like that. I don't I don't want to have to throw a Repentia squad at that. So being able to throw a Mortifier at them was a pretty easy problem solver for me. Interesting. Because I feel like one Mortifier doesn't even dent like five Incursors or Intercessors or whatever. Was that not uh, what you found? Uh, I think it definitely does with the two two damage heavy bolters and then the 15 attacks. Hmm. And it definitely makes a dent to them. And then even if you kill three of them, they can't do anything back to the Mortifier. Yeah, I know. I think specifically, like, I was thinking, like, they're OPSEC, so if they're on an objective, you're one Mortifier, you're never killing them off unless you kill all five. You probably don't kill all five. And then Infiltrators, they project their 12-inch bubble of blocking deep strikes and outflanks. And again, if you don't kill all five, it's still there. Yeah, but you, you're now you're creating a threat in there, in, in this little pocket in their deployment zone or in the mid-board that they have to deal with. They can't just ignore it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to outlast true. the That's true. infiltrators. And it's not like you're concerned to bring it down because you have two mortifiers. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not, not like you're not going to take bring it down. Um, and, and then the, with the retributors, I opted for the two multi-melters over the four uh, pretty much only because uh, when I put that unit of five out and it dies, because usually it dies in return, uh, I'm not going to feel bad about losing 120 point unit as opposed to like a 200 point unit yeah that makes sense so it's interesting because it seems like you have a lot of small units that all contribute decently like you know these retribute yeah. squads aren't quite as explosive as like a full six man with four multi-meltos two cherubs and a simulacrum all that jazz but they still pack quite a punch and then like you're Pencha, they don't necessarily need rhinos because there's not much indirect in the game. Like you said, and you know they don't have to do all the heavy lifting in this list because it comes from all over the place. So my question to you is, doesn't that limit you against certain units? I guess that you you don't really want to have to eat like an interrupt or something like that, or uh, if you want to do like a lot of bulk damage in one direction, like against Necron warriors or something, you just do lots of little damage all over the place. So how do you deal with those like? I guess, oddball-type units that you don't fight the conventional way. Yep. So usually, like, the interrupt problem, that that can be an issue, especially early game. Uh, that's kind of where the MSU comes in being really effective because people are trying, generally trying to blow too much of their CP too early, trying to just capitalize on damage against almost small units. Uh, so usually by about turn three or turn four, their, their list is really running out of steam, so you start running out of stuff to like interrupt or fight on death or that sort of all that sort of jazz. Uh, so mm -hmm. before then, before then, I'll happily just trade one Repentia unit for deleting something. Uh, but if you run out of steam halfway through the game or towards the end of the game, it's kind of when I'll I'll gut your army. Uh, I'll, I'll charge in with everything, and you can't really do anything about it. Interesting. So I, I've definitely played Sisters in that very similar style where you just kind of. Doing little small trades, one or Pencha goes out here, Zephram goes out there in some versions, or whatever it might be, just trading sisters until late game, you kind of push into them. And I found that what happens is like the whole plan is based on keeping pace in primary for the first few turns. So if my opponent can ever get a good turn on me where like he moves obsec into position or does some weird Harlequin jank or whatever it might be, 
to block my primaries for that turn, I'm now in a big hole because my whole game was based on drawing and then winning later on. Is that something you found with this list? Uh, I don't think you end up in a big hole. Like uh, if they usually, if they're going to capitalize on getting a primary lead early, they're, they're actually going to have to commit a pretty substantial amount of resources to do that. So it leaves their late game even weaker than it was before. Um, so I, mm. I think people people going too hard too early for those points against this sort of sisters army makes it even easier to to really bring it home in the late game. Um, and, and I think that's purely because of the excess of small units I have. Like it's very hard for even especially elite lists to trade up when they go into combat. Uh, they're almost always going to trade down because they're going to kill like five, maybe ten sisters, uh, and then I'm going to delete that unit. And most lists that are running around. Uh, aren't playing MSU, like even Space Marines, like a lot of people are running five-man uh, Gravis armor units. Instead That's of true, the yeah. Uh, so if, if if Marine players all switch to the six-man squads and combat squad everything, that becomes a lot harder for the sisters. Uh, but as it stands, like you're going to, basically you're going to trade five aggressors or five blade guard for five sisters, maybe maybe ten, and yeah. like that's a bad trade. Yeah. I think I'm all tunnel vision because I play against John Lennon's White Scars too much, and he's got the four units of five guard, Vanguard vets. But not every Space Marine army is doing that, of course. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the triple cannonists. I, I personally run one. I would love to run two, but you know sometimes points be tight. You've gone for three, and I've never seen anyone run three. What's this about? Oh man, I don't, I don't know why you'd ever not run three. <laughs> The, what's all right? So beneficent. So good, let's go through each of them individually. Why do you have? What's each one got, and what's it do for you? All right. So the one with the relic chain sword is what is she? Eight attacks, uh, hitting on twos, rolling yes. ones. This is beneficence. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exploding sixes, uh, strength four, reroll wounds, uh, neg three, two damage. So mm-hmm. and she's got null rod, so you can't smite her to death or anything like that. Right. Uh, Just to break it down for everyone a little slower, the uh, basically it's a combination of warlord traits and relics. Gives her a sister's variation of Teeth of Terror. So she's got eight attacks, like Eric said, when you combine a Preacher and Bloody Rose. And then uh, Strength 4, because the Relic is plus one strength. And then if you're near your Magifier, it could be plus two strength for Strength 5. Her Warlord trait would be reroll all to wound rolls. So Strength 5 rerolls wounds, pretty good. And then it's negative two base, negative three uh, in the Bloody Rose Doctrine, or whatever it's called. And two damage flat. So she's a blunder, especially in this marine world where everyone's like two to three wounds and T5, three up armor, no real envol. She just kills them all. Yes. Uh, the second one has Blade of Admonition. So she has five attacks, being Bloody Rose, six near the Missionary, uh, at strength six near the Megafire. And uh, neg, the relics normally neg three, uh, goes to neg four with Bloody Rose, and then three damage flat. So another really good character for. Uh, all the T5, three wound marines. Uh, yeah, they didn't get armor damage. save against that. Yeah, no mm-hmm. armor save, three damage. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, like, it's a 60 point character as well. Let's not forget. Yeah, these, these two characters I'm <laughs> in love with. You don't need to sell me here. This, this mantle of feel, you ladies. Talk to me about her. Oh, mate. She's the, she's the best. <laughs> she's the best. What is she even do? <laughs> she's the best. No, well, so, so the best thing about her is uh, she's, she's the thing I throw into something, not, not so much a big unit. That hits hard, but like a, a scary Like a big monster, or, something that doesn't yeah, have scary, that many attacks. Yeah, or like a three-man blade guard unit or something like that. Like, you know, like a small a small unit that punches pretty hard, I'll, I'll comfortably yeah. put this character into. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, I mean, I'm sure Nick knows there's a combination of ways you can make that three-plus a character super hard to kill. Well, let's go through it, because Sisters are kind of one of those weird armies most people don't know. So, for those of you who don't know, Miracle Dice is a concept in Sisters, basically doing various things throughout the game, like killing enemy units or passing morale checks or things like that. We'll gain you Miracle Dice, which is a die you roll for. Let's say you roll four. You put that four into a separate pile, and then you can call upon that four at any time to... uh, replace one of your die rolls before you actually roll it. So really nice for like charges because you just save a five and a six and you're like, oh, I have an 11 inch charge. I know I can make something out of reserves or whatever. There's tons of applications. But what you can do here is auto pass one of the miracle dice, uh, auto pass an invul save, and she's got the three up invul from Mantle Ophelia. And then uh, what else did you do, Eric? Uh, so you got that you got that strat for one CP. So after you roll a save roll, you're like a, say you roll a one or a two, I use one CP strat, and you can burn uh, 
a number of miracle dice to boost your save roll for each miracle dice you discard. Uh, so it's another way to basically get an auto pass, on a, which is pretty easy to do on the yeah. up your um, uh, which is pretty pretty sweet. It makes a so if someone hands me six saves from a three damage demon prince or something, I'll roll those one at a time, uh, one at a time till I fail one, and then I'll auto pass one, and then I'll bump the save roll of the next one I fail, and then if I happen to fail another one, I generally got Celestians nearby to pass wounds off onto. Oh, that's really good too. To get those cannons is an extra level of durability. Yes. All the bodyguard, bodyguard rules in this game work differently from each other. Do you want to walk us through how the Celestian one works? Yeah, so the Celestians are like a worse shield drone, basically. So whenever... A, uh, well, it's sort of worse. So if it's after you take a save roll in your character. Uh, so again, which is really, really good on a 3-plus invo. Uh, you really roll on save. sisters in general. Yeah, so you roll your save. Uh, if you say we fail on a three damage weapon, uh, I can look at sir, each point of damage to a Celestian. So on a two plus, the Celestians will take a mortal wound for each damage. So it's not just one roll and one Celestian dies. If I'm taking three damage, I can I can roll up to the three dice, not just one. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty, pretty much hard, means hard you, you don't way. die from anything like like the three blade guard something, which does buy you a lot of time, which is something sisters struggle with because yes. this is kind of like what we're saying. Uh, if you have to fight multiple combats in the same turn, you're very vulnerable to the interrupt. Well, maybe this way you only have to fight one combat and then survive the other combat with the cannons. I really like that. Yeah, and then obviously on top of all that, uh, you've got a two CP to resurrect a character as well. Yeah. That's really cool. Interesting. So, so out of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but out of curiosity, does a lot of the work from your list actually come from those characters? Is it like sort of subtle and people don't realize that that's the real danger in your list? Uh, they can be. Uh, usually they're like the cleanup crew. So once the Repentia have kind of gutted someone's army, uh, whatever's left, if there's stuff left, that usually can't go toe-to-toe with the Cannoness. Yeah, I, I definitely like them because they can go on little solo missions and clear out areas of the board that aren't really worth the dedication of Repentia. But they also, like, also, Repentia might not be the right tool for the job because Repentia at one thing and then die. Candace might be able to hit multiple things, which is really cool. Yeah, so th- like that is good. Uh, I try to avoid having to do that simply because I'm going to take while we stand. Uh, so that, yeah. that again, again, that's what makes the mortifiers so good in this list as well. Because uh, they're not there while we stands. Yes. Mm. So they can, go, they can go clean up the little bits and pieces of crap that I don't have to commit good characters to. Okay, can you guys remind me of the wording on, on while we stand, we fight? Um, if he resurrects one, does that count as them dying? No, it's got to be dead uh, at the end of the game. Oh my yeah. god, that is so yeah, gross. Eric just walks away with 15 points every game unless something's gone horribly wrong. Yes. <laughs> It's pretty good. So <laughs> speaking of that, why don't we just go through like how your list plays on the table? That's like something I think a lot of players might not understand. Because uh, this is essentially what well, we got: thirty troops, thirty fast, fifteen heavy. So that's like seventy or it's like yeah, seventy-five troops, and then we got the repension characters. At least like a hundred models of sisters running around. Yeah. So I was before the team event. So there was a, another event couple weeks before masters uh i took sisters as well I took a very similar list uh that list had tunits repenter and celestine uh so i was kind of playing around invo bubbles a little bit more uh I, f- I found it to be a complete waste of time i didn't need the invo bubbles and uh, i've also found it to be a total waste of time but why don't you explain why because that's yeah. like something that people wouldn't expect i guess yeah so it's even more so on this msu build um usually because same same thing again, people aren't running MSU armies like or MSU combat lists. Uh, so usually you're gonna have like a five man aggressor unit, for example, hit five sisters. Uh, it, it's not gonna matter if I got a four up invo or not. I'm still gonna die. Um, so I pivoted away from taking those invo buffs, uh, and and it also uses up warlord traits. Uh, so I moved away from that stuff, and because I was finding especially this MSU list, I'm going to play all over the table. I'm not going to be playing around auras. Uh, every unit in this army, because this Bloody Rose, is relatively self-functioning, so it can kind of go do its own thing. Uh, so there's no incentive to play in auras. Uh, so I, I dropped Celestine for, for Queensland Masters, uh, and I, I wasn't running the Indomitable Belief uh, 
wall of trait, which is a plus one invo aura. I was running Beacon of Faith for the extra miracle dice. Okay, so one thing that kind of strikes me and just sort of having how you describe your list and, and tell me if I'm way off base here, but you don't really have anything super valuable, right? You don't have any obvious targets for your opponents to go after beyond the Repentia. I mean, Repentia are always target number one um, just because they, they just blunder whatever they touch. But I mean, you've got a lot of fairly fit, and the reason that they're fairly efficient is that Bloody Roads bonus in combat means that your stuff is fairly interchangeable. It can go all over the board wherever you need it to play the mission, and people can't really trade effectively with you, so it allows you to sort of push wherever you want to push and sort of win the mission. Is that? Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's 100% right, man. Uh, so, yeah, like a lot of things, a lot of problems people have are they got these big hammer units, and there's nothing of value to sink their teeth into in my list. So they're almost 100% of the time trading down against me. I guess this is maybe more of a matchup by matchup situation kind of question, but I imagine with 100 or so sisters on the board, you can't realistically hide them all out on the site. And you, even if you can, you can't really move around the table out on the site without coming into the open. You're not that fast to terrain hop either. So yep. if you're playing against an army that can really shoot you, like, and, and we'll get into this in the, mad, in the matchup section more in part two, but I'm talking like a boatload of plasma scepters or like the entire admech gun line, something like that. How do you maneuver this army just in general? Uh, so, like, it does really depend on the, obviously depends on the terrain. Uh, but for the most part, like, I'm not that sad about losing a couple of five-man sister units to the shooting. Uh, the plasma interceptors is not such a big deal because of the short range. I can play around that. Like, whereas, like, if they're in a spot to be able to delete a few sisters, I'm going to be able to put some hurt on them back, especially with multi-melters. Right. Uh, right. The, the, the harder one is something like the breacher list, being able to shoot me from... 36 away is a bit more of an issue for me. Uh, mm. But at the same time, it just comes down to that terrain. So there's a lot of tables, especially here. Uh, even like the WTC terrain maps, uh, a lot of that stuff is actually pretty easy to hide this many sisters, like uh, especially when you outflank the Repentia. So they're like the big squads that take up a lot of space. Uh, outside of them, it's quite easy to hide a large yeah, number. Yeah, especially because coherency is not an issue for any units in your army. Yeah, that's right. So you can really fit a lot of sisters in behind one ruin. So if you've got two or three of them, uh, you, you probably can hide 90% of the army. Wow, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, you're okay like taking a few extra turns to get where you're going to just stay alive, essentially, yeah, to make sure you go in the right it. spots at the right it's, times. Especially because I'm going into the game knowing the back end is where I'm going to really solidify Right. Right, that's coming together. Makes sense. So... I guess under what circumstances do you outflank a lot of stuff, or is it always the repentia? Is it all the repentia? What's your process there? Uh, so I usually am going to outflank at, at least one unit repentia, and that's not always because it's going to like it's cool to come in and make an auto charge from reserve, right? Like, but the the problem that this puts on people is you want to go and kill sisters early because you're not going to kill a hundred sisters. 100 sisters in the last two turns of the game. So people want to go and do that explosive damage early, get themselves ahead. Uh, but the problem is when you're outflanking your Repentia, they also have to protect their backfield at the same time. Uh, so it puts more elite armies in a really awkward position to fight you. Uh, they, so can't this afford, like... they can't afford to just commit resources forward because they have to protect the backfield. And... and it, like even just protect they can't have valuable units on their flanks because they'll just copper repent your charge from reserve yeah even if it's like uh not a valuable unit but like five intercessors like you just claiming five intercessors in the flank is not a horrible use for repentia yeah especially if those intercessors are unsupported like that can be catastrophic yeah. to you like now you right then he's got to turn around good. and deal with it yeah like it's a that's really bad it's a really bad spot to be in uh, I think a lot of people look at outflanking Repentia or just Repentia in general. Like, I have to trade these for like the key masterful unit in my opponent's army because they're like my Repentia. And it's like it's all about tempo in ninth edition, tempo and placement and reactivity. Uh, the raw force to it doesn't matter nearly as much if it's a points game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, I'll a lot of games, I'll I'll more than I'll be more than happy to trade my Repentia to cut all the speed out of my opponent's list if it leaves like these little. These little anvil or hammer units walking around. 
Like I, I'm yeah, happy for beautifully so. walk around. Awesome. He's got it's, no, it's... he's got no speed. You react around my MSU around the table. Uh, he can, ha- he can do all the damage that unity wants. He's not going to win that game. Now, do you ever outflank the retributors or anything like that? Uh, I haven't had a situation where I've wanted to, uh, but I do outflank some of the normal sisters sometimes just to, just to kind of come in behind their pentier and, and kind of support the backfield and, get a hold on their objectives. Yeah, easy. now it's like there's a few units, there's OPSEC, it takes real effort to deal with this instead of just like, I'll kill some Rapentia casually. Yeah, that's it. So just, just an extra bit of crap, basically. Uh, and then he, and then obviously you got the Seraphim as well. Yeah. Okay, So I, I'm oh, starting to get my, my mind wrapped around this a little bit. So I do have a question. What happens if your opponent is able to um, sort of mow down a flank uh, because it doesn't seem like your list is very fast for repositioning. Am, am I missing something? Or no, not at all. Um, it's it's like it's relatively slow. Uh, but I mean, it it's it's hard to mow down a flank that's generally going to be out of line of sight. Uh, but if if you mean like uh, getting aggressive with assaults and and combats and stuff like that, uh, it's whether the pocket like if you got one unit of Pentia on the table, like you've got an advantage, advance and charge with the Miracle Dice charge up your sleeve, or you've got Repentia coming in to outflank as support. Like you've got plenty of different ways to support flanks, uh, using like making good use of the, the strategic reserves, uh, as well as the advance and charge that we have access to. Yeah, so it sounds to me like as long as you have an idea of what the way your opponent's going to play and what their capabilities are, you're not going to get caught out or caught surprised and not be able to adjust. Um, because of the lack of speed, but and I mean, you're also in a way you're sort of forcing the game on your opponent, so you're not really reacting as much to them as they are to you, I would imagine. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. I mean, like I'm going to start the game going, okay, well, unless you do something about this, I'm going to get 15 points for our stand. Um, I'm probably going to take, depending on the mission, I'll probably take some like banners or engage on the fronts. Like I, I'm putting a lot of pressure on them to make something happen on the primary and. If they, yeah, it's not like you're taking Bring It Down or Assassinate or any of those ones that require yeah, you yeah, to go I, do something. Yeah, the most yeah. you have to do is like engage in all fronts, which you have so much outflanking, you have so many small squads, like I'll sack five sisters, who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's not a, it's not a big problem for me at all. Uh, so it puts, really puts pressure on your opponent to do something about the primary game, and usually in doing so, if they don't have the excess of units that I do, uh, they're... They, they might get ahead early, but then they're just going to have nothing left in the tank for the last two turns, and, and that's where it all kind of falls apart for them. Uh, and that, that's what's pretty much been happening in all my games so far with this build. Uh, the the games are really tight pretty early on, and then the sisters just kind of pull ahead from turn three onwards. It is always nice um, having While We Still Me Fight as a very viable option, because it means you can do the, the wonderful combo of While We Still Me Fight, engage in all fronts, and deploy scramblers. And your secondaries are set every game at a minimum. Like It doesn't matter what your opponent's playing, you can do that, which is really cool. And then um, the games do you find you struggle? I'm sorry? sorry? The other games you can take banners instead of scramblers, you're, you're just laughing because you don't even have to throw anything away at that stage. You just sit there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Um, I was going to ask something. Oh, the the hold two missions, like Vital Intelligence or that weird hammer and anvil one that I forget. Um, I find them to be really punishing if you're going second with a relatively slow army. So your army is relatively slow. Have you found that at all? Uh, it's very hard to get back on the primary. Yeah, to to an extent. So uh, those missions, uh, particularly vital intelligence, that one is hard for this list. Um, but the dominions really help with that. Talk to me about these dominions. So dominions get to pregame move, so they move in advance as a pregame. Uh, so if they're deploying on the line, it's not unlikely that they make it to the objective with move in advance. Uh, and, and then especially if you're going first, like uh, in, in that mission, you hold the objective, even if you move off it, if you control it at the start of your command phase. Yeah. So you like even if those dominions die or they move off or, or whatever, like you, 
your opponent now has to go and throw stuff away to take those back off you. Uh, which starts which starts a bit of an awkward exchange because you've got the advance and charge coming out of little units that can pick on their chaff, or you've got Repentia the slingshot out and pick up something meaty that goes into yeah. those objectives. It's basically that those whole two missions, or at least the vital intelligence specifically, um, it lets you it lets you hold the objective without having to survive for the whole turn. Like you can get shot off, who cares? It's still yours, which is huge because your army doesn't need to be dying needlessly trying to hold objectives yes yeah that's it uh so yeah, that does help but at this, it is it is still an awkward one to play uh like it's you you could get a really bad matchup in that machine and it becomes a really hard game uh so like a you any just generic tips for it something how you'd approach it in general it's harder uh, than a matchup i just yeah so like, i mean I, I see a lot of people in vital intelligence try to play all over the table like trying to hold all four objectives across the center uh, that's that's never going to work like it's you're if you play against a good player in a hard matchup, doing that 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 sort of style of play is not going to get you far. Uh, you need you really need to pick one part of the table and focus on that. Uh, so you're, yeah. you're aiming to hold three objectives and threaten one of the other middle ones. So you're putting pressure on your opponent instead of you kind of being too thinned out and and just picked off and then late game you just lose the game. I think it's a really good advice just in general. Um, it's so easy in those missions where the objectives are all spread out to try to spread out. Be like, I'm going to stand on all these objectives and my opponent will hold on your primary. You're going to get tailed by turn two or three and then he's going to hold all the primaries. Exactly, yeah. All, all that ground, you, all the points you put on the board early game that you think is going to keep you in is going to quickly be just thrown out the window when they start scoring 15s. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think that's a huge misconception. And I know we've had you on in the past to talk about hordes. It's very... Your sisters aren't really a horde per se, but it plays similarly enough. It's probably more yeah. of a play style thing. You you don't actually swarm the table with hordes. You strategically place models exactly where they need to go, anywhere they need to go every turn. Yeah, it's, anyways, yeah I've, I've, never played, I've never played a horde where I just kind of push it in a big wall at you. That's that, that's that's my yeah, horde yeah. style. <laughs> that's very <that's laughs> good. So you're you're kind of covered why you're not running Celestine in this list. Uh, basically, the Invivores don't do too much with the way the Nisari spreads out. What about Triumph? Mm, I I want to. I really want to use it, but I'm not. I'm still not quite sold. I think I'd have to have more games with it to really see if it's worth it. Have you Have you tried her yet? I've used her once a little while ago, and I really like it. I, I really I really like. I've what used she does. her probably seven or eight times, and. I really like her, but 195 is a lot, is where I've come down on. Mm, I think she's cheaper now, isn't she? No, she's 195. <laughs> um, like it's, not, it's not terrible, but I mean, I think the worst part about it, I, I, I can justify paying the points for what she does, but I think uh, the worst part about it is because the stylist I play while we stand is such a huge part of that game. Uh, she kind of messes that up a bit. She's actually, I found a great while we stand. I like her as a very positive thing because you can just hide her. Like, she's obscurable. So just put her behind the room and leave her there if she's actually that concerned about it. And late game, she does not die. She just doesn't happen. Yeah. No one's got time to deal with her late game. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it just, like, it's a, it, at that point, it comes down to like a matchup thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I'm just thinking, like, you, what are your, Thoughts like where do you think she helps or hurts the matchups? You know, that's what we're here to talk about. I think probably like uh, it's probably more of a team's thing. Like, you're not going to see, you're not really going to see Manticore guard and stuff like that, like mass indirect guard lists in singles events that much. I don't think. No, no, uh, it's just it's got too many holes in its matchups. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the list the list that she's probably scared of, you're probably not going to see in a singles environment. So, I can see her being, being pretty good. Um, uh, I just probably haven't had enough games with her to really decide if I want to put it in in this style of list. She might be better in more of a less MSU focused army. I'm not really too sure at the moment. Yeah, but I think the MSU focused. I, I definitely think she's great. Yeah, that was just a consideration. Have you also uh, messed around with any other sisters' orders? I know you used to be all on the Valorous Heart Kick. What happened to that? Uh, AP two kind of disappeared is what happened to that so yeah kind of it's, it's it very much is like ap3 or like ap yeah yeah it's ap1 or ap3 usually right with the ex with the exception of the breacher list um but valorous isn't going to save you from that so uh, i <laughs> just, i decided <laughs> no, to drop it. yeah um there's 
yeah, so outside of that, I think Bloody Rose is just the, I think they're the best, um, especially for the MSU list. It just makes everything, uh, everything self-functioning. It can, in my chaff units, like my five sisters with a Bloody Rose strap for plus one to wound can actually kind of punch on with other people's chaff units, whereas other sister orders can't do that. They don't have that luxury. They have to, they have to commit good units to kill other people's chaff where I, I can get away with not doing that. I think that's super valuable. Yeah. Have you considered anything like Martyred Lady or Ebon Chalice for Junith or um, the tricks to really abuse Miracle Dice in this army? Uh, I think recently, or I guess I you, so, well. so, uh, re- recently I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, adding the Ebon Chalice canonist into a list. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, haven't, I haven't really had a chance to test that. I haven't really played the sisters all that much, to be honest, in this edition. Yeah. Um, so I haven't well, really you're just had casually it. winning Masters <laughs> events with them? Um, so I just haven't really had a chance to play test a lot of the cool things. Uh, I kind of just went with what I could conceptualize as being good and play well on the table. Um, that makes so there's sense, probably, yeah. There's probably a whole range of things that are really good. The Martyr Lady stuff, I, I understand. I don't think it's I don't think it's that great. Um, uh, I but, have tried it, and I, I was definitely high on it when it first got tried, and now I'm like, it's yeah, all right. I, I think it seems or it looks a lot better than it actually is. I think. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Mm. Uh, but so something else that I just wanted to quickly touch on was the combi flamers and the retributor unit. Oh yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, I know there's like there's, so Nick Standing and stuff from Art of War did a they do they do a pre and post event stream uh, for all our events lately, and and they were talking about they they thought the combi flamers were just like kind of leftover points thrown into the list. Uh, there's actually a couple of different ways that you can make those really useful. Uh, so obviously one of them is Holy Trinity. Um, so obviously because I've only got the two multi and not the four in the unit, I do have a bolter weapon in there as well as the combi flamer um, and the, and the multi from the retributors. So you can get yourself plus one to wound. Uh, that, that one's not so relevant because of the short range of the flamer. Uh, but the coolest little thing you can do with them is obviously like triple tapping the combi flamer at, into like horde matchups or harlequin matchups and stuff like that. Yeah, so it also lets you use that strat. Oh, did yeah. you see that strat? Holy Trinity. Yeah, Holy Trinity. Yeah, it just doesn't come up too much. Yeah, but no, the, that's that's yeah. why I'm not big on it. The combi flamer, but it is nice to be able to triple tap that thing. Like you yeah, said, it's cheap. I, I I think it's worth having. Like it's thirty points across your army to like, man, that's that can be devastating for Harlequins or Orcs. Like uh, I think it's I think it's worth having for thirty points. Yeah, I could totally see that. I think the the bigger thing and the reason I think people don't go for it is because. Uh, they make it like an all multi melta kind of unit, and then it's not really going to fire the combi flamer ever. But yours is kind of very multifunctional and cheaper. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, I really like the kit out on the retributors. I probably wouldn't go any heavier on the multi melters in those squads. I would just find mm-hmm. other places to put multi melters because it, it's yeah. it becomes less rewarding for your opponent to invest into killing those retributing units. Like they, if they kill a retribution unit, like a ten-man retribution unit or a five-man with four multi melters, they really feel like they've accomplished something good. Whereas if you got a five-man unit with two multi melters and then you got one multi melter all over the place in all these other squads, they haven't really accomplished that much. So them putting a big target on your retributors, you're not so worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and same with like Scorpius tanks from Admech, like shooting you from indirect. If you've got four multi melters and one sergeant. Like the, yeah, there's an obvious, like, I'm going to shoot this unit and get return on investment for killing models, where it's yeah. like, uh, I have to kill, I basically have to shoot two Scorpius to kill, like, a single multi-melt, though. Like, what is even the point? Yeah, exactly. It becomes really, it just becomes a bad... It's also, at that point, maybe they just shoot OPSEC sisters, because at least I'm getting rid of troops, and then you have all your multi melters still. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like no good decision sort of thing. There's no... There's no it, it's the same thing as the combat issues that people have. Like, there's nothing of value to sink your teeth into. And the, the same concept applies for shooting. Like, you can't shoot. You can't dump a big squad of shooting into any of my things and feel like you did well. Like, you're gonna at most you're gonna kill five sisters. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really good aspect of your list too. I, like the just MSU nature of it is is tremendous. Um, let's let's talk about that for new players for a second because I'm not sure it'll be obvious why MSU is so powerful. But one of the things that it does is it makes your your firing become less efficient. So let's give me a mathematical example. I'm firing, uh, you know, like let's say I have a squad of five guys and I'm firing at two five-man units versus one 10-man unit, right? 
and I split up the shots evenly, but one set of dice rolls hot and one set of dice rolls cold. So I, you know, I kill five guys, right? Because my dice that roll hot, I would have killed like seven, for example, and my dice that roll cold, roll cold so I, I killed none. Uh, and so you end up with a situation where you were inefficient with what the way you were you were attacking because you don't have perfect information when you divide up your device and when you roll it because of the way dice deviate right you'll have hot and cold pools and then you'll end up in situations where you overkill or underkill and therefore you can't be efficient with your shooting versus if i was just shooting a a 10-man unit i would kill seven and i'd be done with it right and then i would have killed two more um i don't know if that made any sense but it's like conceptually something that like msu is just very powerful because number one you get more information you fire you fire you shoot or attack with you know five things you see how it turned out then you can decide how you're going to divide up your attacks moving on as well it just makes you more efficient so you're less efficient to be shot at and you're more efficient as you shoot does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah 100 yeah. and uh, i mean the same concept applies in combat uh it's the same issue yeah so i know um this army is obviously mono sisters and that's part of why it's on this podcast but sisters are part of the greater faction imperium and your mono faction trait for being sisters is it's okay uh it's it's not bad it's, it's like a nice great. quality of life upgrade i think you mean great it, it is really good uh for those of you who don't know eric do you want to explain it <laughs> yeah so basically i only pretty much only ever pick between two of them uh there's the odd matchup where a third one is sort of relevant uh, but usually you're picking between exploding sixes in combat for your whole army, which is amazing. Um, or you're gonna, really good. Or you're going to take, uh, if you don't really need to be deleting anything at all with combat, uh, plus one advance and charge is really strong as well. Yeah. Uh, and then you, there's also plus three to deny rolls, and every sister's unit can deny on 1d6, though. So you could, against like a Chaos Smite spam army, consider taking that one for sure. Yeah. Um, and another one that's actually kind of cool is, uh, especially with, these death guard lists that are running the uh, multiple blight spawns for the fight last orders uh the the fighter like being able to attack on death on a five plus isn't isn't terrible like it's not it's obviously not nowhere near as good as the other ones but it's not too bad either mm-hmm. i never even remember that one but basically that's your monofaction role and it is really good and also your army is just naturally synergistic for being sisters but do you think there's any room for allies in this type of list or a different sister's army that's similar that just wants allies instead i'm thinking scions or something to be msu and fit the theme mm, I, I don't i don't see what stuff like that will add that the sisters can't do themselves well they, i'm not saying this is better but for devil's advocate's sake yeah, just I, deep striking I, I, msu I, squads at plasma gun yeah i mean i i can see the use for them but i i probably wouldn't be adding them to a list like this i i think it functions really well as is, and I don't think there's any reason to kind of... Yeah, I think a change like that would just be because you want to play Sisters and Scions. I don't think it's actually, like, this is strictly better. It's, I just wanted to talk about it in case you had a different thought. Yeah, um, no, yeah. so I, I, I'm quite happy with Mono Sisters, and if you look at adding other allies with expensive characters and stuff like that, uh, you really start to take away from that while we stand aspect of the army, which is actually super important. Uh, it, like, being able to just know you're probably going to score 15 points from that is super good. That makes it really awkward to fight this army. That's a yeah, really good point too. That's actually, that's interesting. I hadn't really it's thought like about a, that, but having, having a, a free, like not a free, but a nearly free 15 points on a secondary puts you like, it's like you start the game a little ahead of your opponent, <laughs> right? And you put yeah. pressure on them well, to, to sort of like, well, how am I going to make Because it's hard to score 15 on a secondary, let's be honest, right? Like, it's not an easy thing to do. Also, let's not forget, um, every secondary in the game, besides while we stand in a fight, requires you do something. Whether it's move your models over here, perform an action over there, or kill XYZ, you have to do something. While we stand in fight requires your opponent to do something, and that's tremendously powerful in itself. So yeah, the last thing I wanted to talk about, I guess, was just... Um, so command points. You have a ton of them. You're running a brigade, but sisters also have a ton of strats and relics and warlord traits that are worth looking at. So, what was the the breakdown you went with and why? And then anything else you're considering? And then also for command points, just what do you generally use? Um, so, do you mean the breakdown of relics or yeah, like the relics um, and warlord traits just in general? Anything Actually, worth noting? Let's do it this way. How many command points did you start with, and what did you spend them on? And then how what do you what do you prioritize spending them on? Obviously, it's going to depend on matchup, but what do you what do you use the most for stratagems? Yeah, okay. So I start with seven, 
Uh, it's obviously after I start at 12 with the brigade. Um, so I take an extra waller trait. So the two waller traits I have is real wounds and real charges on the um, pseudo teeth of terror cannoness. Uh, then I take a uh, beacon of faith waller trait, gives me an extra meal class at the start of my turn. Uh, I take litanies of faith, which is a free reroll on my miracle dice once per player turn. Uh, then I take the three up invo on another cannoness and the three damage sword on the third cannoness. Uh, and I think that's it for relic. Yes, and then yeah, and then I just spend a CP, spend a CP on the Imagifier to get the double tails, which like you have to do that. There's there's no reason not to do that. Uh, so he gives everyone within six ignore AP one and everyone within six plus one strength. So yeah, I guess seven. the only time you'd ever not do that is if you're playing against an opponent who has no AP one, which they do exist, but not often. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then based on so I start with seven, and usually things that I will spend CP on is uh, I'm going to spend one or two CP on outflanking units, and then maybe once or twice in the game I'll bump the range on the retributors. So plus twelve inch range and plus one damage. Um, yeah, and then I'll do things like a couple of advance and charges, and and then the rest of the CP is used on usually bumping saves for miracle dice. That's probably the most important one. And then obviously, if I need it, uh, resurrecting a character. So you're not like uh, I guess like are you trying to save command points for a kind of mid to end game to resurrect characters, or are you fine just using them willy nilly and whatever you got end game you got end game. <laughs> Uh, it, it kind of depends on how I feel about the position I'm in at, at like turn two or three. Uh, if I feel like my characters are going to really have to do some heavy lifting, then I'll probably start trying to conserve CP a bit early on to have the CP pool to resurrect characters. Uh, if I'm if I'm feeling pretty comfortable with where they're at and where the Celestians are at, I'll I'll, I'll back myself to survive through combats with Miracle Dice and and Lookout Sarin onto Celestians and stuff like that. So it, re- it really gotcha. depends on where I'm at at the time. Yeah. I mean, sisters have such a wide array of really powerful strats they can use. The Retributors can easily spend three in one phase. The Repentia could spend four or five even. Um, and then the characters can easily spend three over the course of your opponent's turn, coming, using Miracle Dice and coming back to life. So being that you only start with seven, you go up to 12, you do have to have a budgeted plan for how you want to allocate those CP. So is there anything... How do you kind of make that decision process? Uh, oh, it's. I think that's really matchup dependent. So, I'll generally looking at someone's list. I'll have a good idea if I think that army can get if that army can actually put much pressure on my characters at all. Because uh, usually people are going to have a crack at trying to get to them because of while we stand. Uh, so if if they can't, if I don't think they can do that whatsoever, then I'm I'm gonna just kind of sink my CP into doing really reactive damage with Repentia and Canonesses and Celestians. Um. If uh, if they can, then obviously I'll I'll hold on to that CP a bit more and kind of save it all for the canonesses and and not really get you don't want to get too carried away with the retributor strat. I think that's a problem a lot of sisters players do do have. They they get a bit excited about having the thirty six inch range multi melters and and wanting to shoot those multi melters every turn of the game, where you you really just don't need to. There's really no need. Like you don't need to be shooting twelve multi melters every turn of the game. Often you're going to be shooting at crap that's not worth the time. It's it's a really easy place to spend two CP. Um, yeah. How often do you use the plus one to wound strat in close combat? Uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Are yeah. we talking like every close combat phase that's going on a canonist or a sister squad or somewhere? Yeah, I'd say, yeah usually on like a repentee unit or a canonist or all the Celestians. It's pretty much always getting used. Yeah. Yeah, and do you ever use a two CP strat for reroll wounds on the repent or the Celestians too? Reroll uh, reroll wounds. Yeah, I have a couple of times because uh, so something cool about them is because they have the simulacrum and the incensor cherub. So they so I, at the same time as a outflank repenting unit comes in and does a big charge with miracle dice, I can also do the same thing on the Celestians because the incensor cherub can generate their own dice. Uh, so I roll two d six at the start of the charge phase, and I. Get a miracle dice for that squad, and because they have a simulacrum, I can use miracle dice in the charge phase, even though someone else already has. Uh, so th- there's opportunity to slingshot that unit into someone, and then two CP real or hit some wounds, plus one of wounds, and, and they hit really hard at that stage. So that's more that's more situational, but you've got the you've got that option there to to do that. 
Yeah, makes sense to me. I think that's uh, that's pretty much what I expected you to say as far as your CP expenditure. I just wanted to know if I was missing anything, anything else you wanted to touch on. So, John, did you have any other questions you want to ask Eric? No, I think we had a really great discussion. I really appreciate Eric coming on. Um, is it time for us to... Sisters. This is always fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't love talking sisters, <laughs> but that's only because <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to see more of them out there. I, I, I prefer not to have to deal with them, but that, that's me. You know, who am I, who am I to say? All right. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's move our discussion into episode two, where we get into the tactical discussion, where we'll talk about matchups. We also wanted to announce that with the start of the new year, Nick and I are going to start doing a little something a little bit different with our format. Um, we're going to do some more, uh, I'll call them dojo-ish episodes, where we'll do some more like live list-building exercises with our guests um, and talk a little bit more about sort of the whys things are in lists um, because there isn't a lot of events. And, and as soon as the vaccine gets widely distributed and we get back to having events uh, on the table, we'll, we'll go back to like, you know, doing our thing. Right, Nick? So Yeah, that would be the goal. <laughs> that, would, that would be the goal, right? So just move, um, just move to Australia, man. Just be done with it. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you that want to listen to episode two, that's available to our patrons, which you can get at our Patreon at AOW40K.com. But also, you can also listen to episode twos through the Art of War 40K website, where you can bundle that with other podcasts and other content. So keep that in mind. Okay, patrons, we'll see you over in episode two. Everyone else, we'll see you next week. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.